This is the last day that we are reading from John's Gospel in chapter 14. Um, and that is because, as Alan mentioned, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, and I want to turn a corner and start down a new road uh, with a new set of messages that uh, more closely focus upon the cross. And so there could have been a couple other messages come out of John 14. I wanted to end up with what Jesus ends up with at the end of this reading and what we've been studying for the last several weeks under the theme, of course, of peace. And I think I'll begin reading here with... I don't know where I'm supposed to start, but, uh, oh, it's verse 18, is that correct? If you're looking along on your bulletin. Pardon? 14 what? Oh, 27, huh? Yeah, I'm going to start back here with verse 18, I think. Jesus is trying to bring some reassurance to these disciples throughout the whole passage. So he says here in verse 18, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. He's talking about his death and resurrection. The world is no longer going to see him. He's not going to do any more public ministry, but he is going to come back and his disciples will see him again. And since I live, you will also live. And when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? His question is promptly, probably prompted by the idea that they want Jesus still to be a political Messiah. And his disciples have been encouraging him all the way to be a political Messiah. They didn't get it, what Jesus had in mind. And so Judas is wondering, when are you going to reveal yourself in all your power and glory to the whole world? Why not? And Jesus kind of answers the question by saying, reminding them what he's been saying all along. All who love me will do what I say, Judas. So if you love me, and his commandments are to love God and to love one another. They're very simple. He's not talking about the whole law of Moses. All who love me will do what I say, and my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. He's saying to Judas, hey, if you don't want to follow my will in this, if you insist on getting it your own way, then you must not really love me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. We kind of looked at that last week. Here's the heart of what I want to say today. Jesus is concluding this time with them by saying, And I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I'm going to stop there and turn to Romans chapter 5. Paul, to the Romans in his wonderful letter here, says, Therefore, and I'll come back and tell you a little later what the therefore stands for. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. 
Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Would you pray with me for a second here? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word, and especially for the words of Jesus about his gift of peace and pray that you would open up all of our hearts today to understand just what he was talking about so that when we walk out of these doors today, we just might be walking out in a different condition than when we walked in. This will all be a gift of your grace and love, and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's probably true that all of us in this room would be willing to raise our hand and say that we are at times uh, exhausted from the daily grind of life. Is that you? I'm telling you right now, that's me. I'm exhausted. And I know that my wife Gail's exhausted from the daily grind of the way life has been the last two weeks, huh? And most of us would probably raise our hands and say that we are overwhelmed by responsibilities and expectations from family and jobs and uh, social gatherings and everything else that goes on in our lives. And all we're looking for is a little peace and quiet. Isn't that what we're all looking for? And I want to tell you this morning that a good place to find peace and quiet is in a good old lonely, solitary jail cell. <laughs> yes. That is a shot taken in a jail in South Korea. Would you believe that over in South Korea, and I just can't wait for a, a budding uh, entrepreneur, what's the word? Entrepreneur to take up on this idea. Would you believe that in South Korea, people will pay $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement? They're given a blue uniform, they're given a, a yoga mat, uh, a tea set, a notebook and a pen to write down the reflections, no clocks, no phones, no people, solitary confinement. They'll pay $90 to do that for 24 hours. The guy who came up with the idea is a prosecutor in South Korea who had been working 100 hours a week and jokingly had been told, telling his wife for almost a couple of years, the guys I'm sending to prison are at more peace than I am. And one night they were sitting at the dinner table talking about this, he goes, I wonder if that's an idea. So he went out and he purchased the materials to make a jail cell and he began to advertise and man, business started to boom. As South Korean people started to come and knocking on his door and says, yeah, I want to spend 24 hours in there. So bad, I'll give you 90 bucks to do it. The guy started making money hand over fist. He's got a whole series of jail cells. Now he's not even a prosecutor anymore. He's a warden now. <laughs> Who's going to start that idea here in our country? That's what we need, the peace and security of solitary confinement, huh? I don't know. First customer right there. 
90 bucks. I don't know what that value is in Korea. Pardon? With the 8,000 buckaroos. Uh, how crazy, huh? Apparently some people in South Korea don't know the kind of peace that's offered to them all the time. And that's the peace of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today. The peace that Jesus offers uh, you and I. It was his most precious gift. In fact, uh, Matthew Henry, a famous Bible commentator, has this to say about this. When Christ was about to leave the world, he made out his will. His soul he committed to his father. His body he bequeathed to Joseph of Arimathea. Remember that he provided the cave where Jesus was buried. His clothing fell to the soldiers. His mother was left to the care of John. But what would he leave to his poor disciples? Matthew Henry asks. He had no silver or gold, but he left them that which was infinitely better. He left them with his peace. My peace I give unto you, Jesus says, not as the world gives. It's my peace that I give unto you. And then he repeats the phrase that started this whole passage of Scripture when he says, therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. And he circles right back to the beginning of chapter 14 that began with those words to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Indeed, their hearts were troubled and they were afraid. Jesus had been trying to tell them for a long time that he's going to go by way of the cross and that he's going to suffer and die. And that's the kind of Messiah he's going to be. In chapter 13, he was telling them, now, boys, this is going to happen. I'm going away and I'm sorry you can't come with me where I'm going. And they're very troubled, downhearted and discouraged. But then in chapter 14, it turns a, a, a new corner. And Jesus begins to encourage them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. I'm going to my father's house and going to prepare a place for you. And when everything's all set, I'll come back and get you in my timing and take you to be with me so that we'll be together forever. And he gives them the promise of the hope of heaven. But he's not through yet. He goes on to tell him, as, at them, as we've been looking at these last few weeks, that uh, in the meantime, while you're still on the earth, you're going to do greater works than I have, he says. Through the means of the power of prayer in his name and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to do even greater works. So this chapter 14 is filled with promises, the last of which is peace. Peace. I'm going to give you peace. I think it's important we notice that this is not the peace that the world gives. And what Jesus means by that is, the peace that the world offers is a peace that's dependent upon outward circumstances. It's a peace, you know, it's peace in absence of war. It's the peace in absence of any kind of trouble or calamity or fear or any outward circumstances that's negative in nature that would trouble or trifle with what we think is peace. What we think is peace. It's not that kind of peace. I've got William Barclay here on this kind of peace. Beloved Bible commentator. In the Bible, the word for peace, the Hebrew word, is shalom. You've heard that probably. It never means simply the absence of trouble. 
It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers is the peace of escape, the peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and refusing to face life. The peace which Jesus offers is the peace of conquest. No experience of life can ever take it from us, and no sorrow, no danger, no suffering can ever make it less, for it is independent of outward circumstances. And we're thinking, that's the kind of peace I need. So, what's it all about? There are two aspects, biblically, New Testament speaking, of peace. Two aspects of peace. The first one is peace with God, and the second one is the peace of God. The second one is dependent upon the first. You can't know the peace of God until you are at peace with God. So I want to take a couple minutes to talk about the peace with God. Peace with God. I'm turning for another person to help us. This is a guy I've been quoting several times on these Sunday mornings, Gary Burge. Peace refers to the Hebrew greeting shalom. And for Jesus, refers to the aim of his work on earth. That is, to restore the equilibrium and richness of humanity's relationship with God. Jesus' shalom then brings an end to the brokenness caused by sin, and it will be the fruit of the Spirit given when he departs. He's letting us know that peace with God uh, occurs after we have um, had our sins forgiven, basically, is what he's saying here. Another Bible commentator, J.C. Riley, says this, Without justification, that's a fancy word that just means being made right with God. Without justification, it is impossible to have real peace. Conscience forbids it. Sin is a mountain between man and God and must be removed. The sense of guilt lies heavy on the heart and must be removed. Unpardoned sin will murder peace. The true Christian knows all this well. His peace arises from a consciousness of his sins being forgiven and his guilt being put away. And therefore he has peace with God because he is justified. As Paul told us in Romans 5.1, Therefore having been justified or made right with God through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God. And when you read that letter to the Romans carefully, you will discover that that verse there is reflecting back on chapter 1 and verse 18, where he implies that until sin is done away with, human beings are at war with God. And then he spends the next three chapters explaining that all of us are in the same boat together, all humanity, those who are outwardly bad and those who think that they're outwardly good, still all of us are plagued by the same disease and it's called sin and it's anything that goes against the will of God and all of us are infected with it and we're in trouble. And Paul implies that until that's taken care of, we are at war with God as it were, he says. 
But then he comes to chapter 3 and verse 21 and says something rather remarkable. And for me, it's the entire good news of the Bible wrapped up in just a couple of verses. Listen closely now, because this is really, really good news. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping all the requirements of the Old Testament law. For we are now made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are or what we've done. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And then I'll take you back to Romans 5.1. Therefore, based on all that, based upon our faith in Christ and what he did for us on the cross, now we have peace with God, peace with God. The war that he talked about in chapter 1, verse 18, the war is over. Now we have peace with God. It only comes about the peace with God as a result of having a trusting relationship with Christ and what he did for us on the cross on the cross and when we come into this relationship the main reason we can have peace is because we know that when death catches up with us we have a home in heaven that's the main reason that we can have peace with god because we know he's got our backs billy graham says this in his book peace with god what a prospect what a future what a hope what a life I would not change places with the most wealthy and influential person in the world. I would rather be a child of the king, a joint heir with Christ, a member of the royal family of heaven. For I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And I have peace in my heart. His peace floods my heart and overwhelms my soul. This is the peace with God that only comes through having a faith relationship with Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Only and only when we come to terms and to grips with the peace with God are we then enabled by his grace to enjoy the peace of God, which is a different thing. The peace of, of God is a different than the peace with God. But once we've made peace with God, then we can begin to experience the peace of God. Perhaps one of the best ways uh, to describe it is when Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, be anxious for nothing, but whenever calamity or trouble comes into your life, pray and make known your requests, thanking God for all he's done for you. And when you pray, the peace that passes all understanding will begin to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul's got that phrase there, the peace of God and he says that it passes all understanding. It's a peace that we really can't explain, but it's a peace that you know because you've experienced it in your walk with Christ. It's a peace that can be impacted by, to a certain degree, the way we live. The gift of faith and the gift of eternal life is solely a gift 
of God's to us, the peace with God, we can actually have an impact on the amount of the peace of God we experience in this life by, would that verse say that we opened up with today? He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are focused on the Lord. And the more we get with this book and study it and meditate on it, the, the more our trust will grow. The more we pray, the more peace we will have. So we can have some impact on the peace in this life. Um, Billy Graham again says this about the peace of God. The storm was raging. The sea was beating against the rocks in huge dashing waves. The lightning was flashing. The thunder was roaring. The wind was blowing. But a little bird was asleep in the crevice of the rock, its head serenely under its wings, sound asleep. This is peace, to be able to rest serenely in the storm. In Christ, we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusions, bewilderments, and perplexities of this life. The storm rages all about, but our hearts are at rest, for we have found peace at last. Billy Graham. We have another expert in peace who happens to be with us today. And it was my privilege to meet Deborah Homicer last fall when I started up my Disciple One Bible study, and she was invited to participate in it, I think by Dottie. I told her about Disciple, and I was privileged to meet Deborah. And uh, I'd like for her to come forward now, if she would, and share a little bit about her faith journey and how she's found the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody today. Oh, you Good. beautiful hands. My name is Deborah Amister. Some of you know me. I'm kind of looking around the room because I'm a little nervous right now, but um, after a few minutes, I'll get over it. We're all friends. So, that's yes, right. Amen. Um, so, when I was little, uh, my mom was the person that brought me to know who Christ was. Um, her faith in God was always very strong. Very, very strong. She'd give her last five dollars in the um, tie-in envelope and put it in the bullet that passed around on Sunday. And she didn't know how she was going to get gas for the week. But you know what? God always comes through. He does. So that's, that's the person that introduced me to God. It wasn't too much later on. One day I told my mom, I said, I was 30-some years old. Um, not too long ago that I told mom I didn't remember the day that I actually went up and asked Christ to come to my heart. So my mom said, oh my gosh, we got to take care of this right now. She drove me down the aisle, went down to take care of business. And um, God is my peace. He's everything to me. Um, I was diagnosed um, actually in 2000. They said I just had cancer. They had, I had a mass on my, on my um, liver. And they said they were anonymous, they would never become anything. Most women have on the liver, and nothing ever happened. They're fine. Um, we'll keep an eye on them just in case. Well, several years later, um, I got diagnosed with carcinoid cancer. Um, it's the, supposed to be the best cancer to have, and it's the slowest growing cancer. Well, I broke all the rules. 
It's not the slowest growing cancer. And since I was diagnosed, we've um, been through everything. We've been through chemo, we've been through treatments, endless ups and downs, um, pills, this and that. But you know what? He's always stood still with God. He's always been there. He's got me through it. Not one day did I ever question, why me? Why do I have cancer? God has been my rock. He's been my peace. He's been my understanding. It only comes from him. He's been everything. Um, if you don't have Christ in your life, you don't know who he is, get him. Those nights that I'm sitting there and I, I can't, I'm going to throw up and I'm not going to throw up and I don't know what to do and everything is, all those prayers that you guys pray when some people say, all I can do is pray now. Being Gail said, Gail told me to on the direction. She said, it's the thing to do. Not one of the things to do, but the thing to do. So pray. Pray first, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's minor or if it's major. Pray. Because God wants to know where your heart is. He wants to know that you trust and believe in Him. That you care about Him. He's got me through so many ups and downs. My family, they've sacrificed. My husband has been the wonderful caretaker I could ever possibly have. That all came from God. God has provided everything that I've needed. Every person, every prayer, every flower. Daddy brought me flowers today. And, um, me. There's a lot of you here that are very, very dear and precious to me. But I just want you to know my little bit of what I deal with. I can't live without him. I don't want to live without him. If you don't know who he is, if you don't care about who he is, then you must not want to have peace in your life. Mm. Because the peace that you're going to find with him is very satisfying and it's forever. Mm. If I could just say a quick prayer with all you guys. Everybody bother that close Father, thank you for just giving me this moment today. Put these wonderful people in this wonderful community, Lord. Watch over us and guide us. Let us choose you, Lord. Thank you for the peace that you always give me in my life. Thank you for the love of my family and all that you provide. Watch over us and guide us. Let everybody use this lesson today, Lord. Let us take it out. Use it. Let a lot of people help me talking to you this week. I thank you and I praise you for all that you do and I ask all these things in Jesus' name, special thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're a brave girl. You're a brave young lady there. It's so wonderful to have your family with us here today, too, Deborah. God bless you. We'll continue to pray for you. She reminds me, Deborah does, of a, of a story that... Anybody know the name Catherine Marshall? She is the widow of uh, the late... Um, Dr. Peter Marshall, who was chaplain in the United States Senate for many years. 
And she tells a story about a friend of hers was on a tarmac in an airport in Florida waiting to fly to Cleveland. So she's plane pointed towards Cleveland and she's on the right hand aisle of the airplane and looks out the right window to the east and there's a beautiful sunrise coming up in the east and she's just noticing that beautiful sunrise but she heard the weather report that there was a storm moving in in the west and she looked out the window toward the west and uh, the sun was illuminating some dark clouds and she sees some lightning in the west and the plane began to go down the runway and she says that the spirit of the Lord talked to her and said to her you know what Sometimes in your life, you're going to look out the window and you can see the sunshine on one side and you can look out the other side and it's filled with dark clouds and thunder and lightning. But I want you to understand, a plane's still going to Cleveland. The plane is still going to Cleveland. Sometimes in our life, everything's sunshiny and bright and sometimes there's clouds out there. But if you and I will just learn to trust that the plane's going to Cleveland, that the good Lord has our backs and is going to take care of everything, and already has, in fact, then we will be more and more at peace. And so I will ask you the question that Deborah just asked you. Are you at peace this morning? Are you at peace this morning? Do you know the peace with God, first of all? There was a storm, a wreck, a boat, uh, went down with all hands. Just one little boy was saved. Uh, the, the wind and the waves washed him to a place where there was a rock, and he grabbed hold of that rock, and he clung to it all through the night. And the next morning, the sun came up, and there were rescuers out, and they spotted that boy and rescued him. And one of them later said to the boy, were you trembling when you were clinging to that rock all night? And the little boy said, yeah, I trembled all night, but that rock didn't move a bit. Christ is the rock to whom we must cling if we're to have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, that opens the doorway to experience the peace of God, which passes all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, just as it does Deborah's heart and Deborah's mind. Same thing will happen for all of us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the last gift, the precious promise of Jesus, the gift of peace. It's not a gift that's contingent upon outward circumstances. It's something that cannot be totally defined. It's just something that we can experience within once we know peace with you through our faith and what Christ did for us and begin to live our lives that he would have them live us in, in, in trust and in faith of who you are and what you've done for us. So I pray for all and any in this room who are looking to find true peace of heart and mind, I pray that they would continue to turn to Christ now and forevermore. Amen.